Let's turn to page 50 of our book, if you're following along with us. Um, we ended on Sutra number 22. And as always, we'd like to just create the right context, like figure out where this uh, energy has been taking us. And what we've just ended with is, uh, we were marveling at it in the last class, this very high, oh, this is what Savikalpa Samadhi is, this is what Nirvikalpa Samadhi is, you know, just like, just in case you're going to be experiencing this state, let me just let you know what, what you should be expecting. But then he kind of draws it a little bit backward and he just starts talking about the things that it takes in order to get closer to these states. And in Sutra 20, he talked about the need to have faith, to have strength of will, to be mindful of God's presence always, to enter into Savikalpa Samadhi often, <laughs> and to have discrimination. From there he says, with keen and one-pointed practice, this highest attainment comes easily. Okay, how easily? And he quantifies that by saying the time required for success depends also on whether one's practice is mild, medium, or intense. And that's where we left it. We got a sense of, okay, we can all go back home and wonder, what's my practice like? Mild, medium, or intense? You've got those three chilies means intense, two chilies means medium, and just one chili. So we can have stars and we can have something for our own practice and figure out where are we, how intense or how mild is my practice? Is it single-pointed? Am I getting in and everything? Strength of will, where's my devotion, where's my faith, so on and so forth. And then he continues, Sutra 23. Otherwise, okay, you can't do any of this stuff. Otherwise, through devotion and complete self-offering to God, this highest samadhi can be attained. So thus far, he's been talking very mm, methodologically, right? Oh, meditation, we're talking about vrittis, we've been talking about energy, we're talking about the spine. And now he's kind of shifted or seemingly shifted to a more bhakti approach. Devotion, you know, just like, oh, of course. And complete self-offering. And it seems like he's talking about an entirely different way. Oh, if the, you know, the practical and the really, you know, yogic approach doesn't work for you, you can also achieve the same goal through devotion and complete self-offering. But that's, it's an interesting thing, isn't it? Complete self-offering is like, I don't know what that is. How do I completely offer myself? In fact, can I really offer myself if I'm not even... If I have no control over myself, if I'm not in charge of myself, can I offer something that I don't even have, that I am unable to even grasp fully? Complete self-offering, what does that mean? We were recently having a conversation with uh, Asha Naya Swami and she reminded us of this story perhaps of Naya Swami Jaya that you might have heard that early on in his, when he was just entering onto the path, um, he said one day he went and he looked into the mirror of something. Huh? At the altar, was it? Okay, I guess that makes better sense. <laughs> he looked at the altar. He was master's, you know, his guru's photo right in front of him. And he said, just looking into master's eyes, he says, this life I give entirely to you. I don't know if I did it last life. I have no idea what's going to come next. But this life I give entirely to you. What does that mean, complete self-offering? 
It means you can have no preferences, no likes and dislikes of your own, no interests of your own that you're working on, complete self-offering. Where does it even come from? How do I even practice such a thing? Christ said, you must learn to love God, your Lord, with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. All aspects of your being. We talked about St. Teresa of Avila in one of our classes, where her motto was, solo Dios, basta. Only God, that's it. No more, nothing beyond that. That's the only reality. Complete self offering that's hard we may think oh that's a oh yeah let me let me follow the devotional <laughs> oh yeah meditation oh yeah you know asan karo ye karo wo karo ye yaad rakho wo yaad rakho yeah pray and do this and do these 600 other things i don't want to do that i just want to do bhakti i want to love god i want to offer myself to god but do you really offer yourself do you have anything to truly offer to him can you look at him and say God, this life, I give entirely to you. This is yours. Do with it whatever you want. Okay. <laughs> Neither do I. <laughs> that's a hard one. Complete self-offering. And that's why it's so important. And that's why, you know, Patanjali will mention these things in here, but he'll also quantify it. That's why methodology, that's why a practice is so important. If I can gain certain control over these vrittis, over my reactions, over my likes and dislikes, over this entire process, then in fact I can begin to offer that little by little. I can give it to God and say, this is yours. This life, this time is yours. Do with it what you will. And in the next stanza in the next sutra he quantifies it even further because this is helpful for us to know what does it look like when i have completely offered myself to god and he says ishwara is the supreme self ishwara ishwar comes from the term ish ish means lord of owner ruler so he who is <laughs> ruler of his own self is the supreme self so on one hand you've got complete self-offering which sounds like a surrender but paradoxically when you're able to give your complete self what do you become you become the ruler you become your own lord when you become lord of the supreme self when you become ishwar through complete self-offering what happens you are unaffected by any affliction you are unaffected by karma and its consequence thereof and unaffected by any impressions of desires. Now, if somebody were to ask me, okay, how do I know that I have completely offered myself to God? I can ask you these questions. Are you unaffected by any affliction? No, I'm quite affected by affliction. Then you haven't offered yourself to God. Um, what about karma? Do you like that? <laughs> have any issues with karma? I have lots of issues with karma. Then you've not offered yourself completely to God. Any consequences of karma? Any impressions of your desires? Any vasans in you still? Some samskars perhaps? Then you've not completely offered yourself to God. 
You see, we can make these vague concepts and say, Oh, I just, God, I only want to live for you and Bhagwan, Tere Naam Pe Mene Bas Sab Chadha Diya Hai. But then tiny little things happen and then, you know, we get upset. We go, oh, ooh, I want it this way. I have my preference. God, I'll give you my life if, as long as you make sure it looks this way. And then we can't come up to the altar and look at the Guru and say, God, Guru, this life I give entirely to you. Because it's a lie. And so becoming Lord of yourself, whether you follow the path of becoming Lord of the individual vrittis, learning how to move the life force, becoming and being in control of your own prana, or whether you learn how to offer everything that you have, all that you are, into God's hands. These are your two options, both really being the same thing. One focuses a little bit more with feeling, which is a key element, that devotion is so important. And the other focuses a little bit more with a practical approach. And we can figure out whatever our natural tendencies are, you know, our natures, but both being very similar. And then to understand and to see, always quantifying, always quantify everything that you think you're doing and that you know is, are these things happening? Even in the Gita, I always loved it. Krishna would always come back to, he is wise who? He would just tell you, you know, if you think you're wise, do you meet these conditions? Oh, I don't meet these conditions. Take it bad, Jadu. Just always come back to something that's real. That's I can place myself and I can have a moment to say, okay, I don't think I'm there yet. Which is, again, always a wonderful place to be because then you know, where you do want to go. So here we have, if there are any difficulties, give us any trouble, if any karma comes and it can shake us off here and there, if it leaves in our lives consequences and impressions based on our desires, okay, so there we go. I haven't quite, I'm not there yet. In him, he who has become Ishwar, in him, he who has become Lord, is fully developed the seed of omniscience. Means he knows everything, all knowing. Suddenly, when you're able to do that, that's when true intuition begins to flow. And every moment, always aware, fully aware of what's happening. The seed of omniscience in him becomes fully developed. Again, what I like about this fact is that it also means that we all have the seed of omniscience. It's only that in him, it's fully developed. In us, you know, maybe a little sapling of it. Maybe it's withering a little bit. <laughs> maybe some of our seeds are frozen and there's no life yet in it. And some, there are some roots. I mean, there are just different stages. In fact, to that effect, anything we know is just a reflection of omniscience. Any knowledge you have, any wisdom is just that little spark of that all-knowing, all-pervading wisdom. But little by little, as you're able to let go of all these little preferences, let go of being affected by phenomena, the phenomena of the world, that's when you will truly learn to see what is actually happening behind it all, behind all that karma, behind all those desires, where's that thread of consciousness passing through them, then you become omniscient. Unconditioned by time, he 
is the supreme instructor of even the most ancient of teachers. I love some of this stuff because here it sounds like he's just talking about God in general, but he's just, you know, he's been talking about us. He who does this, he who does that, when he becomes Ishwar, unconditioned by time, this is us at some stage, he becomes the, he is the supreme instructor of even the most ancient of teachers. Unconditioned by time. You know, we've got this thought, Buddha became enlightened in the year whatever. <laughs> I will become enlightened in 2024. But when that state actually comes to be, whenever that is, suddenly you're no longer in time. And you have access to, and you become the origin of wisdom itself. You're reading Patanjali and thinking, Patanjali se mein le But when you finally achieve that state, you remember actually being Patanjali, that your wisdom flows through him. It's a state of, you know, just so far out from our awareness. There's no time when you ex experience that. Swamiji always would talk, and he talks a little bit about here, about the book of Brigu. And he would say sometimes jokingly to us, even the color of shirt that you're going to wear today, <laughs> that guy already knew that thousands of years ago. Because the very wisdom, the very seed of omniscience that you think passes through you, is fully developed in him. Imagine that. Our guru would say to his disciples, I know every thought you think. And at other times he said, I know every thought of every man, past, present, to come. <laughs> I already know what thought somebody, it baffles the mind because everybody immediately asks after this the question, does that mean I have no free will and oh no, does it mean that my shirt color is already determined? No, it isn't. But you see, in timelessness, none of that matters. Free will itself becomes a joke when there is no time to create will within. But what Patanjali, I mean, just like you see his arcs of like super practical and taking it up to these, you know, dimensions that are well beyond anything that the mind can fathom. And then he draws it back again and again into the practical. Here we are in this state. You are unconditioned by time and you become the teacher of even the most ancient teachers. That same wisdom unbroken of consciousness now flows through you. And you become both the originator of that wisdom and the recipient. The expression of Ishwara is hidden, is in the hidden sound of Om. The expression of Ishwara is in the hidden sound of Om. Now on the surface again, this says, what? That okay, this is, you know, as most places would say, Om is the word of God. Om is that primordial cosmic sound. Oh, God expresses himself through Om. But we're also talking about Ishwara as he who has become Lord of himself. His expression is in the hidden sound of Om, which also means, again, quantifiably, because that's what Patanjali's modus operandi is, always making it practical, which is another way for us to understand, how do I know that I am, in fact, expressing God? The expression of Ishwara, he who has become Lord of the Supreme Self, 
is in the hidden sound of Om. Now, for those of us who practice the technique called the Om technique, we're very aware of the fact that Om is not just some, oh, it's the vibration of the universe. Oh, it's the, you know, these fancy words, the primordial sound that burst forth from the depths of darkness when consciousness first, you know, it's just like, sometimes you read these books, you're just like, oh, does he even know what he's talking about? No, for us, for the yogi, Om is an experience, is an inner experience. We hear the sounds of the chakras. Eventually, we can rest in the sound of Om. When we start to hear that, not just during the Om technique, when we start to tune into the vibration of Om as the only reality in the hidden sound form, because it's hidden behind, under the surface of everything, then you start to know that you're expecting. So he's giving us all these different ways. Are you unaffected by karma? Okay, okay, chodo. Do you hear Om in everything? Master would, any sound, you say, ah, do you hear the sound of Om in that? Ah, that's what he would hear behind everybody's voice, behind <laughs> their looks, behind the sound of the train, in their incessant, extremely annoying traffic. Om, do you hear Om? Yes, then you're expressing God. Then everything you do and say comes from that. You see, it's just very quantifiable for us to understand and then for us to aspire to. I want to listen to the sound of Om. Boy, I want to practice the Om technique more. Most of us, after a while, just like, Om technique, now I want to do my Kriyas. But Master said, Om, wow, Om will take you to Om Samadhi. And that's what he then goes into, Sutra 28. To repeat it truly in deep meditation, and Swamiji gives in parenthesis, that is to listen to and become absorbed in Om, reveals its true meaning. Now, Patanjali, if we remove the parenthesis for a moment, this is how Patanjali puts it. To repeat it in deep meditation reveals its true meaning. To repeat it in deep meditation reveals its true meaning. There's a little bit of a dichotomy over there because when you're in deep meditation, you're not going to be constantly repeating any word. The very fact of repeating om, om, om means you're not yet in deep meditation. But for those of us, again, who practice the om technique, we know that we do keep repeating om, don't we? We keep repeating om at the spiritual eye over and over again. And we use it to enter into a deep meditation while listening for om. And as we do that, its true meaning is revealed. We start to actually hear it. We start to actually feel it vibrationally, first in the ear, little by little at the spiritual eye, little by little throughout our body until, as Master said, you want to feel Om vibrating in every cell of your being before then you can expand that sound and hear it in all creation. And that's what then Patanjali says. Through meditation on the inner sound of Om, one gains the power to overcome all obstacles and to realize his oneness with the inner self. How do I realize oneness with the inner self? That's a, you know, it's a very confusing concept. We could talk about the inner self so many times. If only you can become one with the inner self. But kaun hai ye inner self? Kahan hai? Where do I look for it? And that's one of the reasons Master gave us the energization exercises. And we talk about it sometimes when, he, when we teach these exercises. That Master said, 
until you don't learn to become omnipresent in your own body, you will never learn omnipresence in all creation. Now that's a key element. If I can't figure out that my consciousness isn't just in my brain, that it doesn't just function from this mental state, that if I want to be in my big toe, I should be able to be in my big toe. It's my body. I mean, you know, it's my big toe, but I don't seem to have any relationship with it. I can look at it and I can wiggle it, but I don't feel I'm there. I mean, do you feel you're in your big toe? But you want to be able to feel that if I want my awareness to be in my big toe, I could be there. People want to go to Jupiter with their awareness. They want to astral travel. They want to visit America in their dreams. I mean, people have these wacky ideas of the spiritual path. Colors. I mean, go into your own foot. Go into your own calf. Do you have any relationship with even the physical body? And so he gave the energization exercises with the intention that as we connect with each muscle, we start to connect until we become omnipresent in our body. Same is true with the Om. We hear the Om and then we expand the Om until it vibrates in every cell of our body. And then we say, ah, now I'm one with something that's real. Now this inner self isn't some vague, uh, you know, statement that we use when, when we want to show that we're spiritual. Ego se mat bol, yaar. Inner self se bol. Gone inner self. I don't know what this inner self is. And so these are tangible experiences for us to have so that we understand that this state of samadhi is not just some vague notion of oh, everything and then you become nothing and then you, you know, it's an experience to be had first with your own self, as tangible as the very body that you have. But you have to have a unifying inner experience that's happening all over you simultaneously, that you're united when you say, oh, that's who I am, I am Om. And then if you have the good fortune to expand that beyond the body, then you connect with anything that vibrates with Om, and then, as Yoganandaji said, you have the experience of Om Samadhi. The universe is made of Om. I am Om. I just had that experience. Therefore, I am the universe. Through meditation, however, this is the more practical aspect for us, is through meditation on the inner sound of Om, one gains the power to overcome all obstacles. Now, when I first read this, and I was like, yeah, okay, we have a lot of obstacles, there are a lot of problems, and we're naturally thinking about all these external problems, which is true. Master said, and Swamiji says, yeah, when you are in Om, nothing can touch you. He says, that's the highest protection, is to be in the vibration of Om. And so whether that is me repeating Om, which is already some attempt in to enter into that vibration, or more appropriately, when I actually become and feel that vibration, nothing can touch me. But in the next uh, stanza, Patanjali goes into list. What are these obstacles? And these obstacles are not, oh, my boyfriend is not, you know, listening to me, or my job is not happening here, or these people don't treat me the way I want to be treated, so on and so forth. These obstacles, Patanjali says, are disease, 
dullness, doubt, carelessness, laziness, sensuality, false perception, missing the point, instability, and backsliding. These are the obstacles. So he's like, I'm not interested in your problems. <laughs> you know, you have problems? You know, go figure them out some other way. Don't come onto the spiritual path because you think my obstacles will get cleared and you know, don't look for Om so that the next promotion comes to you. I love this guy because he's not interested in, for him it's like, oh, these are the obstacles. By the way, it's about laziness. It's about dullness. It's about instability or inability to commit. Unstable, aaj meditation to kal nahi, aaj ye, aaj hum is guru mein hai, to hum kal wahan hai. It's about backsliding, constantly returning back to who you used to be. Aage thoda bada, niche. You remember we had this uh, mathematical question, I believe, in mathematics. is like, the frog jumps up the well and it goes three steps and then slides two steps and how many jumps does it take to get to the top? And we're a lot like that, aren't we? You know, we take a few little steps and then we zzz, slide. And there's this natural pull from the past that says, oh, you want to leave that past behind, but that tendency to black backslide is there as well, isn't it? Doubt. In the Gita, what does Krishna say? The doubter is the most miserable of all mortals. Why is the doubter so miserable? Because he's different from being ignorant. Ignorant is not The doubter knows what he could become, but he's not sure if he should become. So he's in this limbo of, he knows the possibility, he knows the potential, but he's not convinced. He needs proof. And so he sits in this, he can't fully go back also, he can't move forward, and he's in this miserable state of limbo. And all of us have, these are our obstacles. Not that's anything that's happening outside, not the people who are mistreating you, not the you know, fight that you had with somebody, not the whatever, financial woes that you're going through. Maybe Om will fix it, maybe Om won't fix it. You know, I don't think Ohm's that interested, frankly. <laughs> but what it could fix, and most definitely will, is disease, dullness, doubt, carelessness, laziness, sensuality, false perceptions, missing the point. I like this one, missing the point. I've just missed the entire point of why I'm doing what I'm doing in the first place. Come on to the spiritual path with great gusto and enthusiasm and something little happens and now... And we get so narrow visioned on to and we just miss the point of why we're here in the first place. Instability and backsliding. And when we did the whole Gita class, you know, we had all these lists. I love these guys like, like their lists. And we were all every class we were like, all right, ready to make another list? <laughs> these are my obstacles. <laughs> okay, next list. I mean, how many lists can I have in my life? <laughs> this is what makes me wise. This is what makes me ignorant. These are my yes, obstacles. Some methodological yeah, like, just like to do, you know, the do's, the don'ts, the to do super clear. Super clear. <laughs> Not like us. 
I think I feel, <laughs> I think I'm feeling this intuitive perception of perhaps if I only could. And they're just like, are you backsliding? <laughs> yeah, okay, move on. <laughs> no, no time to waste. And then he goes on to 31. Accompanying these obstacles are <laughs> moodiness, despair, nervous agitation, and agitated breathing. Three sutras ago, Patanjali was talking about Om and being one with the inner self. Now he's talking about moods. It's how quickly he just brings it to. 3,000 years ago, people were suffering from moods as well. <laughs> moods is a universal reality spanning across time. Caesar had moods, and whoever before him, the first caveman had moods, because that's always accompanying everything we do. Accompanying these obstacles, other than dullness and laziness and doubt, you've got moods. And again, it's just like, do you have moods? Yes. All right. So <laughs> you're not in Om yet. <laughs> Moodiness, despair. Despair. <sighs> oh, it's just so bad. It's just horrible. This giving up attitude. Like, this, I can't do this. This sudden, you know, pull of the life force down the spine. A lot of people just making these statements this can't be done and oh no why does this happen to me all the time this despair that it's not going to get any better this is it i'm at the bottom of my life and then two days later it's over now you're back to being who you always were nervous agitation and agitated breathing it's wonderful how he brings it so quickly to the body and the breath again because it needs to have something that i can figure out, am I being this way? Because sometimes you tell people, yeah, you know, it's not good to be moody. I'm not moody. I don't have moods at all. But then you look at their body and you see, are they agitated in their body? Do they have nervous tics and do they keep moving and fidgeting and having to, huh, <laughs> maybe you have some little things. And then you watch your breathing. Is it agitated at all? And when it gets agitated, you know that you're moving in a direction that you don't need to, that you're moving away. You're adding to the obstacle list. And then one of these seven, eight, whatever, is starting to manifest through you. And the body and the breath are just so tangible, so easy for us to tune into. Any little agitation, any movement, any nervous stick that you have is just a helpful way for me to anchor my awareness and say, oh, wait a minute. Somewhere energy inside me is not happy. Somewhere it's not in my control. And it's just doing its own thing. It's just creating this own little vortex of itself, both in breath and in body. The practice of one-pointed concentration is the best way to rise above both these obstacles and the physical and mental disturbances that accompany them. The practice of one-pointed concentration is the best way. What is this one-pointed? What do I concentrate on? 
what is one-pointed concentration. Again, fortunately on our path, we're constantly talking about this, focusing at the point between the eyebrows. This is the seat of concentration. So when we're even talking about one-pointed concentration, there's a story Swamiji tells you, which I, 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 you know, I never remembered. Or oh, the dog, did you read that? No, they were like they were in um, the desert retreat and they were having lunch outside, uh, Swamiji and Guruji. And, uh, you know, a dog, a neighbor's dog comes and Master said, look at him focused on our food and see how he knits his eyebrows. Even he has a spiritual eye. <laughs> and that's how he is. This is our seat of concentration. Every time you're trying to remember something, every time you want to figure something out, where does the energy go? The one-pointed seat of concentration, if you can keep your attention at the point between the eyebrows at all times, Patanjali says, all these obstacles will disappear, both physical and mental. Again, practical. Oh, I'm having some trouble. What if I uplift my gaze and I focus at this point right here, at the center of my concentration itself? Okay, I start to feel better. The energy starts to rise, whatever vritti was pulling my mood in this direction or it was creating agitation inside me, the energy is now starting to get magnetized at this center, shifting and moving away from wherever else it was going. Now we don't remember these things, that's the problem in the moment of our agitation and our moodiness and our despair and our laziness and the entire list, at that time we just think, Ah, forget it. <laughs> Let me just give in to this mood. I mean, there's just an attraction to this mood. There's a magnetic pull. It's just like, it really is like, aja, aja, aja. and you just like want to go into it. We love being in that mood. No wonder <laughs> we can't be devoted to God is because we're devoted to our moods far more than we're devoted to God. And therein, lies the entire crux of the spiritual path. We're willing to give complete self-offering to our moods, but we're not willing to give complete self-offering to God. And so we willingly and happily say, Leja mujhe niche, Leja mujhe us dukh mein. Take me into that past memory where I can live in whatever little la-la land. But staying in the present moment and being absolutely concentrated at the spiritual life, who has time for that? Sutra 33, what time is it? Okay, let's stop here. Keep going, focus on one. No, I like that. Okay. <laughs> Otherwise, we'll keep going and going and going. Unless you think there's something here that was like, that you wanted to bring up. No. It's actually a really good one, so we leave it for next class. I would like to bring all of us back to the beginning of this class, the story that Shujo shared about Naya Swami Jaya coming, going towards the altar and just inwardly saying to his guru, this life, I give it to you. And this is something that not all of us are able to do right now. But this is a practice that we need to start somewhere, somehow, sooner rather than later. And I was thinking, but there is something that actually we can do right now. And that's it. To every day, the moment we wake up, 
the moment we enter our meditation mentally say to the divine to your guru god this day i give it to you and this is something that i have tried many times and maybe for a few hours i'm able to feel and be in that consciousness in that reminder of this day everything i'm doing is for god for my guru but somehow along the day boom just that thought vanishes and i forget i miss the point and i would like to bring these three concepts together the power of self offering and the obstacle to overcome of missing the point every day of what you are doing this for and why is the reason you are doing it and and this is something that is going uh, hand in hand together the act of self offering and the remembrance of why I'm doing this for and for whom and that's the link that will keep us afloat every single day when patanjali was talking also about backsliding sliding mm-hmm. backsliding he says that that happens when people devotions mm. diminishes so if we every day make a constant practice first of all to give this day we dedicate this day to god therefore we will be less probable to miss the point why we are doing what we are doing and we will be reinforcing the devotion so every day and if we cannot sustain that energy that resolution throughout the day perhaps we want to cut it into little segments throughout the day okay lord this meditation i give it to you okay lord this meal that i'm cooking even though i'm doing it for my family i give it to you okay lord this email this video that i'm doing making right now this phone call i'm doing it for you with you okay lord now getting ready you know my kids you send them school i'm doing it for you and and i think if we start developing this practice seriously everything that we do throughout the day and doing it for you i offer this activity this thought this even sacrifice sometimes we need to miss something well this little sacrifice are also doing it for you and bit by bit we will enter into that consciousness of there is no separation between the divine and ourselves and we will step into that consciousness of all that patanjali was talking about so i would say that this week 
why don't we all give it a try and start practicing this act of self-offering by every day, find a way to offer it to God. And within that day, every activity, you know, this, I'm going to do it for you. I don't know, perhaps for me right now, in this particular moment of my life, these are the three main things that I'm so scared about missing the point. I remember Swami Kriyananda, uh, Yogananda telling Swami Kriyananda, you know, in this lifetime, your, your job will be lecturing, editing, and writing. writing. <laughs> and Swamiji kind of accepted it, but there was one thing that he had a lot of resistance, and that was lecturing, teaching in public, because he was very afraid that he would develop an ego that would bring him out of the path. And he was very, very afraid. And Yogananda catching his thought, he said, don't worry about that. You will never, ever fall due to ego. But that was a concern for Swami Kriyananda. I just don't want to do something where there is a risk for me to miss the point. And that's what I'm repeating myself these days with the cafe. <laughs> like I'm just constantly, you know, telling Master, I don't want to fall spiritually due to a cafe. <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't hear Master telling me you will never fall due to the cafe. So I'm just kind of, you know, need to practice this daily. Like, okay, right now this project, I'm doing it for you. If I have to go to town every day, I want to do it for you. If I have to take decision that I'm not that interested, but they need to be done, I'm going to do it for you. If we have and to taste 12 cups of coffee. Yes, also, I'm going to do it for you. And, and just help me to remember not to miss the point and why we are doing this cafe. What's the reason behind it? And I'm very afraid. I mean, it's a real fear. I, I just don't want to miss the point. <laughs> because when I came on the spiritual path, I came with a strong resolution to, to find that joy, to not get distracted on the path, and just to dedicate my life ever more completely to God and always keep my mind, you know, in that, you know, flow of energy. And suddenly, the the, the deeper that I want to go on the path, the more distractions God seems to send me along the path. And I know he doesn't do this to punish me, but to develop a strength and a courage that if I really put him above everything else, that's the point of it all. So I would say those three practices together every day, this day, this activity, I'm giving to you, and I will always remember why and for whom I'm doing this, no matter how lonely it seems, and I will make sure that every act, there is the love involved, so my devotion doesn't diminish in the process, and I think if we are able to put these three As Patanjali says, be able to, you know, reach to certain level of samadhi. I mean that in that unity. 
So let's just take a moment, the next five minutes, listen to enter into that silence within us and, and see how this week is going to look like for us. And how we are going to introduce this practice of self-offering by starting to offer every day to God. And when I mean every day, I mean even the Dharma that he has given me, even the responsibilities that he is asking from me, even the distractions that he sends us in order to test our devotion, our resolution. What do we do daily, the moment we wake up? And to be able to, to do that, okay, here I am with another day ahead of me, willing to dedicate to God. With all its consequences, This meditation will be offered to you, God. This service to my family will be done in your name. Showing up to office every day will be a willing sacrifice for you and to do my best as an act of offering you the best of my capabilities. Every decision I will take, I will remember and I will ask your help to remind me why am I doing this, for whom am I doing it. Let me not miss the point. Keep me steadfast. And introduce in me a sense of adventure, a sense of excitement that comes by putting my hand, my life, my days into your hands.
before we end this evening let's inwardly mentally offer a prayer of gratitude once again to this great sage patanjali for bringing wisdom and guidance into our lives to reboost our spiritual life and commitment for this path and for self transformation in this life form Thank mm-hmm. you.